0: I hope you've been paying attention to the words that we've just been singing. The tune may have have caught your attention. That this psalm is not a happy psalm, is it? This is what is called a psalm of lament, and it has very uh, uh, very sorrowful subject to take up, and uh, takes it up full of faith. I want you to hear the words of Psalm 73 and then listen as I preach on these words. Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, as people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought down to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, You will despise their image. Thus, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beyond you, besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. I grew up singing the Psalms, singing them and coming to believe them in all of the various walks of life. I've come to cherish profound words that ring in my ears and in my heart. I can still literally hear psalms that have been sung at members of my family and friends of this congregation. At the bedside of the sick and the dying, I consistently find comfort and read and sing these biblical songs to those who are suffering. And in my own Christian journey, I've wrestled with sorrow and sin, with hopes and dreams, with disappointments and doubt. And as I have done so, the Lord has cared for me as a good shepherd. He's been with me, especially through the words of the Psalms. I say this to introduce you to a portion of God's word that is so touching, a portion of the Psalms that, as I introduced it, have come to be called and known as the Psalms of Lament. And as you come more and more to love the Psalms, I think that you will find these deeply moving passages to be instrumental to your own faith and your own expression of the Christian life because they embrace the entirety of the human experience, not just the joys and the praise that we find in our Savior Jesus Christ, not just the exaltation that we so commonly turn to in singing to the Lord, but the Psalms also lead us to express the pain and the sorrow and the fear and the confusion of all of our lives. In fact, you may be surprised at how many of the Psalms do just that. We think of the Psalms as as, as mostly expressing praise and exaltation, But the weight of the psalms, of the number of psalms, weighs more heavily on the side of expressing the sorrow that we go through in our Christian journey. They are often neglected. My desire today is to walk through Psalm 73 in order to show you that God is with you in the midst of your suffering. We know this from the greater expression of the scriptures that tell us that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knows and understands everything that you are going through because by his incarnation, he has suffered everything that you have suffered and more so that he would be a merciful, and compassionate high priest, understanding what you go through so that you may approach God and express all of the experiences of your lives. These psalms of lament lead you on a path that help you to understand God himself. You will look to him in the midst of trials, and even more, these psalms will lead you to worship him, and to trust him in the midst of those trials. And so today, in learning to love the Psalms, I'm going to lead you and urge you to learn to lament. The first aspect of that in learning to lament is to learn to cry out to God. A lament is just that, it's an expression of sorrow it's an expression of 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 distress and psalm 73 lays this out as uh, in a specific context and i'm going to look at that specific context but i also want you to see that broader aspect of the way that specific can lead you to understand really sorrow and distress in all of its forms and so in psalm 73 The author, Asaph, sets out in front of you this really perplexing problem. He wrestles with really an age-old question, an age-old question of why do the righteous suffer? But uh, even more pointedly, why do the righteous suffer? And it seems like the evil get away with it. Those who are not Christians are described by Asaph as living in ease. They get away with murder. They have everything they want. They live in abundance and more than abundance, in excess. And they scoff at God. They openly say, God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God will never find out. And the perplexity of this of this distress comes through in agonizing words by Asaph. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slept, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What an honest expression of that age-old question, why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? Why do I suffer? Because the dilemma continues and and noting the prosperity of of the wicked, Asaph goes on to say that while they are prosperous, I, I who have pursued God in faithfulness, who have pursued peace and purity, I suffer. What has it gotten me? I am plagued all day and chastened every morning. I see no advantage to the Christian life. And as he reasons this, Asaph, as a man of God, agonizes over this dilemma. And if you look at verse 15, he comes to see the the weight of what he's expressing here. Because he's expressing real doubt. He's he's saying things about God. He's wrestling with, with unbelief in his heart about the goodness of God. About the sovereignty of God, and he realizes that if he starts voicing this discontent, that he might influence others around him. We don't know everything about Asaph, but it's apparent that he was a leader of a leader of worship in God's amongst God's people, and he says, uh, speaking to God, if I complain this way. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. There's part of his dilemma is that the doubts that he is, is wrestling with, he says that the grind of this suffering is so severe that I'm beginning to think of God as acting unjustly towards me to be acting unfairly towards me. And if I speak this way, it would not only be to sin against God, but it would be to inflame sin on those around me, those that I have uh, have a a brotherhood and sisterhood with. And I don't want to do that. It It would be wrong to express this. I can't do that. On the other hand, to keep this silence Is eating Asaph alive? Perhaps you know this dilemma as well. Perhaps you've gone through some dilemma in your life that seems impossible to endure. Perhaps you've become so bound up in some situation in your life right now that the anxiety or the tension, or the anger is suffocating you. And perhaps you hesitate to voice that. Perhaps you hesitate to voice it because you are wrestling with unbelief yourself. if God is good, why am I going through this? Why does it take so long to be delivered? Or maybe you hesitate to voice it because it would somehow violate the code that a Christian is always happy. A Christian always has it together Christian never suffers. Here is where you need to learn to lament, to cry out to God. Because in crying out to God, you express that the Christian life does indeed involve suffering. And there is faith in that acknowledgement. In fact, as you learn to lament, there's, there's a sense in which you activate certain beliefs about God, about life, and about suffering. There's a sense of activating that theology of suffering. And in saying that, I want to remind you that, that this is not a systematic point-by-point point examination of a theology of suffering. Remember, these are psalms. They are going to lead you to, to experience this theology and to put into practice this theology in a specific context of suffering. In the reality of suffering, what you believe is refined. And God leads you by this lament to understand certain points of theology. Let me call your attention to a few of them that Psalm 73 grasps and activates in your life. What do we learn as we lament? First, I've mentioned already that suffering is part of this fallen world and you as a Christian are not immune to it. God still always overrules. God is sovereign and God is good. But he does not remove you from the world. And he doesn't remove all suffering from your life either. To suppose otherwise is to adopt a theology That is a theology of health and wealth and happiness. And that is not a biblical theology. In fact, it is a theology that crumbles under the suffering of this life. It leaves you wanting something more because life is not full of health and wealth and happiness. But it is full of God. God will not desert you in that. There are reasons for suffering. We, we live in a fallen world. We also sin. There is an enemy. There's, and you can read uh, really good theologies of suffering, and I encourage you to do so. But I, I also encourage you to learn that the Christian life is full of suffering. It also teaches you that God's purposes go beyond our ability to know. They go beyond our ability to understand. And, and Asaph relates this in a really, really poignant way. He speaks of his, his viewing these things from his own perspective and his own Understanding, and 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 in that context, his conclusion is is way off base, right? (laughs) But that's his experience, and isn't that yours? But insulated in our own experience, we come experience we come to conclusions that are, are are really poisonous. And Asaph realizes this, and later in the psalm. He he expresses this. I was I was ignorant and foolish God. I was like a dumb animal in your presence as I expressed these doubts and these fears. But God knows all things. Psalm teaches you, Psalm seventy three teaches you that that God knows your experience. He understands that, and he may not let you know all of his purposes, but those purposes are there. You can rest in them. And as you cry out to God, one uh, one third little point of theology here, applied theology, is that Psalm 73 teaches you that you can express pain and suffering to God. This is where the psalms of lament are so important. They they lead you to know that you can come to God with tears streaming down your face. He doesn't require you to paint a happy face over what you're uh, over what you're going through. He knows your darkest fears and your anxieties. He knows them because he has experienced those same fears and anxieties in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He knows what's going on. He knows your life. He knows your heart. And he draws you to himself. He draws you sometimes with tears streaming down your face. And he draws you with words like this to express the heartfelt emotions that you're going through. He draws you by his son who has suffered like you and understands you. He draws you by his spirit who dwells in you and who prompts you sometimes to groan in agony And to cry out to the Lord like a little child in fear. Daddy! Daddy! Learning to lament means learning you can cry out to God. Second point of this psalm and and of the psalms of lament, there's this There's this heartfelt, almost inarticulate cry to God that goes up. But then there's this asking God for help, which is the next part. In learning to lament, you learn to ask God for help. And isn't that why we cry out to God in the first place? Isn't that why you children... Maybe in the middle of the night when you're afraid and you can't even get out of bed, you're so frightened and you cry, Daddy, Mommy. You're asking for help. And in learning to lament, you learn that you can ask God for help. That's why we pray as well, isn't it? We pray because there is a God and that God is sovereign, and that God loves you. Today, if you are are wrestling with doubts about the existence of God because of the suffering you're going through, if you're wrestling with the goodness of God because of the suffering you're going through, think of the other side. If there is no God then there is no one to help. No one. And if there is no God, then the suffering that you're going through has, has no reason and no meaning whatsoever. You are left as Solomon in all of his wisdom concluded That if there is no God, then vanity of vanities, everything is meaningless without God. But you can come to God to ask for help. You must come to God to ask for help. Part of the struggle we face is that is that practical atheism that practical unbelief that is the dilemma of of this particular psalm we see we see the trials that we go through we we mourn with good and Godly friends and loved ones who are going through terrible circumstances, and we see the wicked and we see their prosperity, and we wonder what's going on. But rather than asking God for help, we resort to our own remedies. And that's what Asaph does in Psalm 73. We fixate on this trouble. We fixate on this dilemma. And and from our own perspective, we work out all of the details so nicely. And we find no answer. And we spiral down into dismay and despair. And we give vent to that anguish in anger, lashing out at God and those around us. And we retreat from suffering, and we retreat from others, and we numb ourselves from the pain that we are going through, and whatever our favorite numbing agent is, whether it be drugs or entertainment or distraction. And all the time we ignore the truth that our Savior is present with us, and we can ask him for help. and So Psalm 73 urges you to ask God for help. And even more particularly, Asaph urges you to come to worship. And isn't that fascinating? Because I know that when I'm going through a trial or a suffering, that sense of retreat says... How can I go and be amongst other people today? How can I go to worship today? I'm so miserable. I can't stand it. Psalm 73 says, come. Because here you will find help. Because here you will find God. Here you will find perspective. You'll find God's perspective on your suffering. And Asaph, in this particular dilemma, talks about that perspective that he finds in worship. And what is that perspective? Well, the wicked get away with it? Not even close. Because God sees and he knows and he he judges all. And as Asaph comes into worship, he comes into God's perspective. That in a moment, God will arise and judge man, woman, and child. The living and the dead. And in a moment, all of the achievements and all of the victories and all of the excess of the wicked will be wiped away so that they go into an eternity of God's just judgment. And what was in this life will vanish like a vapor. And their end is a terrifying end. And if you think that you are fooling God and getting away with it, recognize here in the presence of God himself that he will arise and judge one day. The wicked will be judged eternally. And so Psalm 73 teaches you that suffering does not nullify a sovereign God. The fact that he waits for a period is a, a sign of his mercy, a mercy that invites you to repent and to flee to him from the wrath to come. It's a sign of his mercy rather than some speculation of the a, of a suffering of this world disproving God. There's that theology of suffering that's coming through in our experience of this psalm. Another theological point is that that Psalm 73 says that, that suffering doesn't nullify God's blessing either. For in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we all in Christ will be changed and we all will be caught up with the Lord forever and ever, where there is no more sorrow or pain or tears. And the Lord Jesus Christ will wipe away all of those anxieties and fears. And in Christ, you will be embraced in the presence of God forever. So Psalm 73 teaches you to learn to lament to ask God to to deepen these truths in your life, so that you can ask for God in the midst of those uh, in in the midst of those trials, so that you can be strengthened in that day of the Lord and in that day of suffering, which leads to the final point that learning to lament leads you to respond in trust and worship today in the midst of your suffering. That's what what Asaph does. In a very touching way, Asaph does this. Beginning in verse 21, here's where Asaph says again, uh, he, he confesses the ditch that he has fallen into it says in effect i was i was bitter about the reality that i perceived and the conclusions that i had come to i was stupid nevertheless here's that uh, gospel infused contrary conjunction that you, you know those times where all of those bad things are said Our sin and and our despair. And then there's this, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I am continually with you. And in verse 23, Asaph turns by faith and led by this Psalm to, to remember to remember God, to remember His goodness, His grace, His mercy, the way He has been powerfully with you in times past, the way He has shown kindness to convert you and to lead you out of your rebellion and sin. And as you hear these words again, I urge you to think upon them today. And in thinking on them, think again today and tomorrow and this week and this month and throughout your life. Think on on who God is, that he is with you in your suffering. Think and think and think about these precious words. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The end of this lament is an expression of faith and trust and worship in a God who is with you. It summarizes by saying about this particular dilemma that that the wicked will fall under the Lord's judgment. But that God is with you, that God is with the righteous now and forevermore. That's the answer to this particular dilemma. It's the path of lament that leads you to cry out to God, to ask for help, and to respond in trust and worship. These are so important aspects of the corpus of praise of the Christian Church. Sing them. And if I haven't convinced you yet, consider what you miss if you don't sing them. To exclude them is to conclude that a Christian never does or never should suffer. To exclude them is to think that when you experience suffering or pain or loneliness or so on, that uh, something is wrong with you, something is wrong with God. Quite frankly, to exclude them is to invent a world that isn't real. A God who is not the God of the Bible. And a faith that will utterly fail in the end. This life is more than health, wealth, and happiness. And our God intends more for you than these things. And this application is not just to counter the the health and prosperity gospel. There's something. For us as as Reformed believers to take to heart as well. There is a there's an intellectual aspect about the Reformed faith that can shy away from the depth of emotions that Psalm 73 expresses. When you sang this, when I read this, did it make you uncomfortable? Why did it make you uncomfortable? may be that you've thought that these are just emotions that uh, are inappropriate for us as Christians. But they're not. The intellectual answer is that that's bad theology, a bad doctrine of man to satisfy the reformed uh, mentality. <laughs> we are created emotional beings. And if you deny that, you deny how God has made you, there's also this aspect of, uh, uh, of affirming that we are saved by faith, but there's a tendency in all of us to think that we are kept by our obedience, and it's a it is a ditch for us as reformed to fall into because we're serious about obedience, and we can come to begin to measure our uh, our relationship with God by our obedience by our our having it all together. We can come to then think of others as supposing to have it all together as well and even even judging others who are struggling with anxiety and loneliness and suffering. We could hold that at arm's length. In singing these laments, we admit our total dependence on God, not just for that that first conversion, but for the entirety of the Christian experience, the entirety of our life. And we activate our belief that God is with us in the midst of our suffering and our struggles. And we make room for those that are experiencing those same struggles that we are. In this light, and by conclusion, uh, Carl Truman asks a provocative question. What can miserable Christians sing? I mentioned this yesterday in our, our summer book study because it was part of, uh, of the subject that we were taking up. The, the Trinity in the midst of the Christian ministry, and particularly our suffering, So the provocative question that he asked, and he asked this in a conference, what can miserable Christians sing? And Truman uh, describes it. He says, "Uh, uh, on each occasion I ask this question, it's elicited uproarious laughter. As if the idea of a brokenhearted, lonely, or despairing Christian was so absurd as to be comical. And yet, as Truman says, and yet, I pose this question in all seriousness. And I do too. What can miserable Christians sing? You can sing the Psalms. These Psalms express an understanding that the Christian life involves suffering. And just that simple statement flies in the face of of other theologies that miss the theology of a sovereign and loving God who is with you in the midst of your suffering. So that he is deepening your faith and maybe refining you so that the roots of your trust are growing deeper. Life and experience teaches us this. The Bible teaches us that Christians do suffer. And furthermore, God in his wisdom has given us words to sing when we are miserable. I know I've learned this, and I hope that you learn it too. I hope that you learn to lament. Let's pray. God, hear us when we cry out to you by your own spirit. When we can't even put words to it, we pray that you would hear and comfort us. God, I pray that we would ask for help from you where there's help to be found. The Lord, I pray that we would learn to to trust. I pray that in the midst of our our suffering that that our our perspective would be refined, that we would take comfort in your presence, that we would not insulate ourselves from your word or your people or your worship or from you, that we would come and find that we can trust and worship you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's confess our faith together, singing Psalm 93, Selection C. Learning to lament. Let's stand and sing.